Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Recorded live. Alright, Jack, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. This is Jam Radio Network. This is Ann Graham Lotz with Daily Light for Daily Living. Are you feeling depressed, lifeless? Is it hard to even get out of bed in the morning? If you're overwhelmed by the greatness of your problems, read God's Word. It's where you will find help and peace. Psalm 119.50 promises, Your Word has given me life. At the most difficult times in my life, the loss of a baby, the forced removal from a church, the robbery of our home, my son's cancer, God's Word sustains me. There have been times when I've only been capable of reading a few verses, yet the supernatural, life-giving power of the Word of God gave me strength to go on, even if only one day at a time. Listen to me. Let him drown out all other sounds and voices. Trust the life-giving power in God's Word. But... Before you can trust it, you have to read it. Read the word. This is Ann Graham Lotz. That's the sound of your classmate forwarding a picture from your profile to everyone he knows. Some guys posting graphic comments about your body. And worst of all, your dad seeing a photo of you topless. All because of the time you posted those pictures on your profile. Anything you post online, anyone can see. Family, friends, and even not-so-friendly people. Visit CyberTipLine.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Justice, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and the Ad Council. Some students are tackling more than just their schoolwork, which is why more than 30% of them aren't graduating. But with a boost from you, 100% of them will have a better chance to make it to graduation. Go to BoostUp.org to find out how to give the high school students in your community the boost they need to make it through. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. Larry was late for an interview. In his panic, he grew reckless. He put the pedal to the metal and rocketed down the highway in the wrong direction. Now Larry was more than late. He was late and lost. His speed only took him further from his appointment. This is Howard Butt, Jr. of Laity Lodge, and I've been on that road, lost, late, and reactive. We can't always control our circumstances. But the panic factor, that's up to us. The psalm that says God is our refuge and strength also says be still and know that he is God. The next time you're lost, in any sense, the best move may be to pause a moment and know God in the high calling of our daily work. For more information, visit ourdailywork.org. Fairy Residence, Tooth Speaking. Ah, sorry, there's no credit fairy here. What's that? He magically raises your credit score? 
Yeah, there's no credit fairy. But you can improve your credit by paying bills on time and keeping your credit card balances low. Money under your pillow? Sorry, kids only. There's no magic to improving your credit, but there is help, and it's free. Go to creditfairy.org. Brought to you by the Consumer Bankers Foundation, the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights Education Fund, and the Ad Council. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Thank you. 
This is Morty Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1.
we will see you at the top of the hour. Today, have a wonderful day. I want to wish you a wonderful day. You're worried about having that kid and can we afford college. You're worried about can I afford the next set of tires on my car. Here's the deal. God loves you. And he is not going to leave you when your tires go bald. He's not going to leave you when you're too old to work. God is going to walk with you through all of that. And he puts it this way in Deuteronomy 31. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. of riches. And yet with life, as expensive as it is, it's easy to get swept up in the pursuit of wealth. Well, today on Focal Point, Mike Favara shares key truths from Hebrews chapter 13 to give us God's perspective on money. There will always be people who have more resources than we do, and there will also be people who have far less. So how do we navigate our way to an attitude of contentment? That's our topic today, and here's Pastor Mike. problem with money is you can't trust it, right? Some of us can stand up, testify to that, come to the microphone and tell your story. How many of us know the richest to rag stories of people that had it made and then it got unmade, right? Why? First Timothy chapter 6 says money is uncertain. And that's the great principle. And I, by the way, I'm quoting verse number 17. First Timothy 6, 17. It says, so don't put your hope there. Put your hope in God. Not only in the span of your life will you take nothing with you, as it says, it says in 1 Timothy 6, in, within the journey of our life, it's here and then it's gone. Right? We think we're doing great. Oh, this is wonderful. Look at the investment of our home and it's going through the roof. And now, well, not so good. Actually, I'm upside down. Got the repo man around the corner. What's with this money thing? You can't trust it. It's not a constant. Let me give you a passage that you can do your homework on later. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 31. 1 Corinthians 7, 31. And here's a statement again, a restatement of the fact we're going to live in the real world. You're going to have to buy a present. You're going to have to buy a new phone. You're going to have to buy a new car. You're going to have to deal with the things of this world. But Paul makes this distinction in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, if you buy stuff, it's as though it's not yours to keep. If you use the things of this world, he says, as though not engrossed in them, which is a good English word for that, that word. It's an interesting word. But don't be engrossed in them. That's the principle. Now, here's what I want to say. Because the better stuff is better than the not-so-good stuff, Right? The better stuff is better than the not-so-good stuff. I mean, I'd rather have the iPhone than that cruddy little Ericsson flip phone, right? That would be better, right? I'd rather drive that midnight blue Porsche Carrera than my Tahoe, my used Tahoe. I, I would rather do that. There's more appeal to that. It's a, it's a more attractive car. It's a sexy car, right? Because those things, the better things in life, the 7,000-square-foot house on an acre overlooking the Pacific Ocean is a better house than the condo. It's more attractive. There's more appeal to that. 
So here's a principle. If you want to guard your heart against the anxiety of, of materialism, you have to admit that the material things of this world are attractive in increasing measure, and you have to, here's the protection, you have to create a dispassionate buffer around your heart against, to guard you against the attraction of material things. Now, this will be balanced as the message unfolds, because our passage is going to give us more to work with. But I need to be able to say, you know what, I can appreciate the fact that the iPhone's better than my Ericsson phone, but I'm not going to be, here's how Paul put it, engrossed in it. What does that mean? I'm not going to allow my heart to go, ah, gotta have, gotta have, which we've all been tempted to do. Don't do that. Don't let your have a dispassionate buffer. There are attractive things in this world that you can't be engrossed in. Are you catching the analogy now? You have to put a dispassionate buffer. Doesn't mean that the things of the world aren't attractive. Doesn't mean the material issues of the world can't engross you. They can, but don't let it happen. Put a dispassionate buffer. It's a kind of like, okay, whatever. Yeah, that's better. I'm not going to be a fool, and I'm not going to deny reality. I'm just going to have that dispassionate buffer around my heart. I'm going to protect my heart. Yeah, that's great, but, you know, whatever. You know, it, it is great. It's better, but I'm not going to be engrossed in that. It's a layer of self-protection that dispassionate layer of self-protection. That's a little wordy. This one's simpler, okay? Second thing, way I can fight the anxiety is the principle from Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6. Remember that? Okay, here's how I put it. Replace anxiety with prayer. Is that simple? Replace anxiety with prayer. It's really easy. But when you feel the anxiety, what if, what's going to happen? Are we going to have enough? What about this? And we really need that. And our kids are, when they're growing, we need a bigger house. When you feel the anxiety, replace it with prayer. Because the Bible says, not just about the general issues of life, but about financial issues as well. Be anxious for, what does Philippians 4, 6 say? Only the big things. Is that what it says? Be anxious for nothing. That's pretty all-inclusive. But in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, that's an interesting line, let your request be made known to God. So take the energy of anxiety, because we're all going to be tempted to feel it, and transition that into a purpose to pray. I'm going to pray. Are you concerned about your retirement fund? Are you concerned that you put all your marbles in your house and now your house isn't worth what it, what it was worth? Here's the deal, okay? Take the anxiety that that may produce and turn that into prayer. God, here's my request. I don't want to be living under a, a freeway underpass when we retire. So God, please don't let that happen. Take your concern and turn it into prayer. That's very practical, okay? So dispassionate layer toward the lure of the material things. When I feel the anxiety come on, I'm going to turn it into a prayer request and make that prayer request clear to God, which often has a purifying effect on your motives, right? Because sometimes we realize, what am I worried about? Sometimes it's stuff that we really shouldn't even be wanting. That's another sermon. We need to restate the principle of this passage, and that is, I don't trust in stuff, I trust in God. We need to state that and restate it. I don't trust in stuff, I trust in God. It needs to come out of your mouth. I don't trust in stuff. My ultimate confidence is in what God does, not what in or how much money I have. I don't have confidence in money. That needs to be stated and restated. Because if you don't state the truth of that, the feelings of the lure and attraction that says, come on, trust me, of money is going to take over. State and restate your ultimate confidence in God and your lack of confidence in stuff. Proverbs 11.4 is a great statement. It's the ultimate statement of it. But money ultimately is very limited in what it can do. And we need to recognize that. Fight the anxiety of materialism. Keep your lives free from the love of money. That's another way to say it. How do I know if I have it? We've looked at that. How do I remedy it? A couple of simple things. But here comes the real antidote to the problem. It's found here in the middle of verse number five. 
There's two things here for us in the bottom of verse 5. If I want to be free from that kind of engrossment in material things, that love of money, as the Bible calls it, that covetousness of the Old Testament, that materialism that we often talk about, then you need to, two things, be content with what you have, and you need to affirm this statement, I know that God will never leave me and never forsake me. There's two things here. There is some kind of focus on the things that I have, a contentment in what I have, and a focus on who I have. I have God, and he's never leaving me. Let's jot it down this way, number two, and then we'll unpack it. You and I, we need to celebrate. That may be a big word. I'll try to justify it here in a minute. Celebrate what and who you have, because you have some stuff, and you have someone that should change everything about the fears of what if, and I don't know if we'll have enough. You have some stuff, and you have someone that is the antidote to the problem and the temptation to be anxious about stuff. Okay, let's start with the first one, which unfortunately is going to jar all you spiritual masochists, and you know who you are. You like the dark side of Christianity. You like to feel bad. Okay, Here's a point that's going to make you feel good on it. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I mean, this is a positive statement. Because notice what it doesn't say. And I know a lot of people read this passage, and they read the wrong thing. They think it says, be content with what you don't have, right? Be content that you don't have something. Be satisfied that you don't have the 7,000-square-foot house on an acre overlooking the ocean. Just be, be satisfied that you don't have that. Is that what it says? It's not a statement about doing something with what I don't have. It's a statement about doing something with what I do have. Be content with what you have. Now, that's an interesting part of this. Part of the solution to materialism is a focus a biblical focus, and it's called contentment, on what I have. And to up that word from satisfaction to something else that I've justified as celebration, let me take you to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I've already quoted it, but let's look at that passage in context and see if we can't justify the word celebrate. And I know it's a big word, but you and I need to have some kind of attitude toward the things you do have, not a focus on the things you don't have. And that's important because materialism is all about getting you to think about what you don't have. Isn't that what the commercials are all about? Hey, you don't have one of these, but you need one. And they want to get your focus on the stuff you don't have. God is trying to get your focus back on the stuff that you do have. And that is the incessant battle that takes place in our heart. First Timothy 6. Look at verse number 17. I quoted it earlier. You wrote down the reference perhaps. But let's read the whole verse. Command those who are rich in this present world, and before you roll your eyes, you go, well, that ain't me. Okay, remember the context. First century church in Ephesus. Now, they're not all poor and begging, but, you know, you probably got a lot more than they do. We got plenty of stuff. So let's at least let this passage speak to us. If we got more stuff than we need, that's what rich means. See? Those who are rich in this present world, okay, stop being rich and at least not enjoy it if you are. Is that what it says? It doesn't say anything about that. It does warn us against arrogance, and it warns us against what we've already dealt with, putting our hope in wealth. It's uncertain. Don't trust in that. Put your hope in God. Have we not dealt with that? That's the first thing. It's an attitude in my heart. Then it says this. God, who I'm trusting in, richly provides us with everything for our, and now circle the last word. What's the word? It's hard for you. Spiritual pessimists. What is it? Enjoyment. Enjoyment. God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Only two times you'll find this Greek word in the New Testament, the enjoyment. You'll find that English word, but the word that translates enjoyment here only twice, now you're wondering where the other place is, right? We just read it not long ago. Okay, keep your finger here, because we're going to come back to the end of 1 Timothy. But turn to Hebrews 11, and I want to show you a startling contrast of the use of the New Testament vocabulary. 
In this passage, we're told that God has provided stuff for our enjoyment, the stuff that we have. If we have more than we need, God has provided that, that we might enjoy it. Now, that word, I don't want you to think is some kind of weird spiritual word that really doesn't mean what it sounds like it means. Let me show you the only other use of this word in the New Testament. It's Hebrews chapter 11. It's in the discussion about Moses. Drop down to verse 25. And Moses is discussed in verse 25 as choosing, it says, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, that's the Israelites that he was supposed to deliver, rather than, now bracket this phrase, to enjoy the pleasures, bracket that, there's the word, translated, this is the only other place we'll find in the New Testament, enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Now, that's why we don't like this word, because it's usually attached in our minds to bad things. We're picturing Moses. Now he's got all the advantages, the nicest camels to drive. They've got all the nice stuff in Egypt. And he's going to step out and say, I'm not going to take that. I'm going to lead the people out of Egypt. And we say, see there? And number one, it would have been sin for Moses to, to lay back on a cush life in Egypt when God had called him to lead the people of Israel out. Secondly, we can assume there's a layer of enjoyment and pleasure in Egypt that was not godly. It was carousing and sin and drunkenness and all this other stuff, immorality. We can assume that was a part of it. But the feeling that you get when you read the phrase, enjoy the pleasures of, recognize that that's the word that Paul uses over here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 by saying, God has provided stuff in your life that is for your enjoyment. Now again, that's taking contentment to another level. But it's the concept of be content with what you have. Let's add another biblical letter. Let's enjoy what we have. Let's celebrate what we have. Because the focus of the world says, look at what you don't have. And all I'm saying is, great, you don't have the best stuff. I understand it. I don't either. But I got some stuff, and that's the first thing in trying to solve the problem of having to have more. Recognize what you have. I have an old used Tahoe. Okay? I would certainly enjoy driving home a brand-new Porsche. That would be better. Right? But my heart has a dispassionate layer against those things. It's all right. I don't have that. That's so cool. But what I do have should not be tarnished by what I don't have. Right? What I want to do is I want to sit in my Tahoe, because here's the great thing. It's not like my first car when I had to do this to get the window down, right? What's really cool about my used Tahoe is I got a button, and down comes the window. It makes a little noise, but it comes down. And that's cool, and that's worth celebrating, and I enjoy that. I don't have an iPhone. It's easy to be attracted to the sexy allure of the iPhone. You don't have, a, you don't have the iPhone, but you got that old Ericsson phone, and it still works. So call somebody. And enjoy your phone, okay? See? You don't got the latest and great. That's okay. And if you do have the iPhone, enjoy it. And, and we won't feel the attraction to it. We'll try to maintain ourselves. The point is, you don't have the best stuff. I get it. Materialism is the focus on what you don't have as opposed to the focus on what you do have. And the temptation, as soon as you look at what we have, well, it would be a whole lot better if I just had a new stereo in the old time. Just, you know what I'm saying? Try and focus on the things you have. Stop seeing the things you have as just a, an advertisement for something else that you don't have. Focus on what you do have and enjoy that because it's been given to you for your enjoyment. One more passage. I said we go back to the end of 1 Timothy. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I jokingly talked about you spiritual pessimists, but you do understand it is a sin. Not only is it a sin, it is a doctrine of demons according to this passage. Look at the context here. There are false teachers out there basically saying God wants you kind of, you know, unhappy and, and, and in this case deprived of the pleasures of life. And Paul wants to point that out. That's big-time sin. Verse 1, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, capital S, clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith 
and they'll follow deceiving spirits. Does that sound good or bad? Sounds bad. Things taught by demons. That's really bad. Such teachings, by the way, come through hypocritical liars. They don't do what they say they, they, they're preaching. And their consciences are seared as with a hot iron. These are bad, bad guys. Well, what do they teach? Teachings taught by demons. Well, here it is. They teach stuff like this. They forbid people to marry. See, we dealt with this in 1 Corinthians 7. People, well, I don't know. God wouldn't want us to do that. Wouldn't want... Here's the deal. That, to deprive someone of that, to say, well, that's not godly, that's wrong. And then he says, and they order people to abstain from certain foods. Right? Usually the good foods. <laughs> because here's the truth. God has created them to be received with thanksgiving, interesting layer, by those who believe and know the truth. That is such a great passage. I love that passage. That means that prime rib was created for us. Did you get that? When you walk into Roots Chris, you see somebody eating your steak, <laughs> you say, I really wasn't created for you, sir. It's not created for non-Christians. The good stuff is created for us, those of us who believe and know the truth. That's just a great statement. Because I know that God creates and gives good things to his children, and he'd like us to enjoy them. When you give a good gift to your kid at Christmas, do you want him to go, no, I don't want that. That's not, I don't want to enjoy any, any of that. You love your kids, right? You like to give them something they enjoy. God is the same way. And he'd love for you to enjoy the things he gives. And the Bible makes it clear, the things that God has created, verse number four, are good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with, here's a good word, thanksgiving, because it is consecrated, set apart by the word of God and by prayer. God wants you to have the right attitude toward the stuff that he gives you. You might want to put in the margin Deuteronomy chapter eight, because the fear is when he gives you good stuff, you'll start focusing on the gift and not the giver. The fear of Deuteronomy eight is that when you get all the good stuff, you'll forget about God that's the temptation. But when he gives you a good gift, and you can see the tension in God's heart, he doesn't want you to love the stuff, but he loves you. And when he gives you something, it may not be the best, but what he gives you, he'd like you to enjoy. And that is one of the best prescriptions for keeping your heart from focusing all the, thing, all the things you don't have. Celebrate what you have, because God has given you a lot, and he would like you to enjoy it. But more importantly, and most profoundly, back to Hebrews 13, verse 5, you need to celebrate who you have. And I don't care, like David said, if your mother and father forsake you. Here's what you've got if you're a child of God. I'm talking to Christians now. You have God himself. And God has promised to walk with you through this life. And he puts it this way in Deuteronomy 31. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Now, you're worried about your retirement. You're worried about having that kid and can we afford college. You're worried about can I afford the next set of tires on my car. Here's the deal. God loves you. And he is not going to leave you when your tires go bald. He's not going to leave you when you're too old to work. He's not going to leave you when your kids are in college. God is going to walk with you through all of that. And that's who you have. And if you have God, you have the one who owns, Psalm 50, the cattle on a thousand hills. The point is, God owns everything, right? I made a mistake not too long ago. We were at Disneyland, and I handed my kid a $5 bill. You can see how foolish this was. Because he said, Dad, I really want a corn dog, and I'm hungry, and my stomach hurts, and I want a corn dog, and I'm going to go over here and get a corn dog and a Coke. Can I do that? And I said, fine, but we're over here, and we're busy right now. And it was like, you know, I don't know, 200 yards away. And I handed him a $5 bill, and I said, yeah, go. Durr. And, of course, he didn't know any better. He went with his $5 bill, runs through the crowd. He's gone for a while, and I'm sitting here dealing with the rest of the family, and here comes my fourth grader back with big tears in his eyes and a $5 bill. I said, where you been? I went in line, I got in line, and it wasn't enough. You know, they went, 1925, please. Or, you know, whatever a corn dog and a Coke cost at Disneyland. And here's the deal. 
had I been standing in line with Junior, and he gets to the front and hands him the $5 bill, and the guy goes, oh, sorry, 1925. He may not have it in his hands, but Dad who's standing there, he's got a pocket full of plastic. Dad does, right? And they take that at Disneyland, by the way. Do you think my son's going to get a meal? He's going to eat. He's going to be taken care of if he just sticks with his dad. See the deal? And if you are thinking, I don't know, I don't know if I'll have enough to retire. We have to live under the freeway overpass, right? Are you going to retire with God in your life? Do you think God is going to go, oh, sorry, I got sorry. God's going to take care of you. God will walk you through the rest of your life, and he'll take your hand in his. I know that's poetic, and it's a little hallmark for you, but it's biblical. Let me give you a passage. Psalm 37. Take a look at this text. Stick with God. He owns the planet. You're afraid about your future? Don't be. Look at verse 23 of Psalm 37. If Yahweh delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Look at verse 24. Though he stumble, now this isn't the prosperity gospel, right? You understand that. This, I'm not saying this is not about prosperity. You will, there are going to be seasons of financial trouble. I guarantee it will all have those, okay? That's going to happen. But here's the deal. You're not going to fall, okay? You may have some things crash, and your house may not be worth anything. You may have to move into a condo. I don't know what your life's like, but you're not going to fall. Why? Here it is, underline it. Yahweh upholds him with his hand. Do you see that? And now David testifies, I was young, and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Never seen it. God doesn't do that. Matter of fact, invertedly, verse 26, here's what I find as a pattern. They always are generous, and they lend freely, and their children will be blessed. Not the prosperity gospel, but it's the principle of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, 33, and all these things will be added to you. Don't focus on the stuff. Focus on the relationship. Hold his hand. Focus on that relationship. Know that he's going to walk with you through your kid's college education, through your next pair of tires, through your retirement, and say, I'm going to trust God and let all the other stuff work itself out. I'm not going to be sitting there counting my money every night. I'm not going to be looking over my portfolio every week. I don't have to do that. I'm not worried about that. God will never leave you and forsake you. David says, I've never seen God's people forsaken by God. They're not living under the freeway overpass. God takes care of them. You've got to believe that, right? You've got to know that's the truth of the Bible. So, what are you worried about? Why are you worrying about stuff? We're wrestling with the challenges of money in today's message called Contentment Instead of Materialism. This is from Pastor Mike's series titled Countercultural Christians. It's an opportunity to transform our attitudes about money with a biblical perspective. You're listening to Focal Point with Pastor Mike Favares. Now you can hear today's message again when you purchase the CD or download the audio file. Just go to focalpointradio.org. From Capitol Hill to Main Street, our culture is constantly trying to get us to conform to its morality while eroding our religious freedoms. Dr. Paul Nyquist, president of Moody Bible Institute, has written a helpful book for our times. It's called Prepare, Living Your Faith in an Increasingly Hostile Culture. More than 12 prominent Christian leaders have endorsed this book, and we're making this resource available to you today. Prepare is yours when you give a donation of any amount to Focal Point. Call right now, 888-320-5885, or visit focalpointradio.org. 
An endorsement from New York Times best-selling author Patrick Lencioni proclaimed this book as a terrifying, edifying, hopeful, and practical book for all followers of Christ. Well, we're very eager to get this powerful resource into your hands when you give a much-needed donation to Focal Point today. Your donation goes directly to supporting the work of spreading the gospel. In case you missed it, let me give you that contact information one more time. Call us at 888-320-5885 or go to focalpointradio.org. Well, join us again tomorrow when we continue our series on the biblical keys to contentment. In the meantime, get more resources when you visit our website, focalpointradio.org. And remember to look for us on Facebook and Twitter. It's another way to get the latest updates from Focal Point. I'm Dave Druid. This has been an insightful study into the financial security only God can provide. Well, let's meet back here tomorrow when Mike Favares continues this series on contentment. Wednesday on Focal Point. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.
This is Morty Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1.
this is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. W Mind Block Radio. Turn it up. Get back in the mat. 
Johnny Erickson Tata, and one of the stories in the Bible that I can most relate to is of the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. And I like the King James Version. It says there that when Jesus saw that man lying there, he knew that it had been a long time. In other words, long before Jesus arrived at the pool, he knew, he understood the man's predicament. And that is so comforting. Jesus knows your health problems, even before your doctor gives a clear diagnosis. And it's because he loves you and knows what he's doing that you can trust that God has your best interest at heart. He knows your pain. He's aware of your fears, the medications you take, the tests you need. And like that man at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus will not pass you by. Yes, you may well get healed, but if not, he'll have a different healing for you. A deeper, more lasting healing than you could possibly imagine. Have you ever wondered why you do the good things you do? Hi, this is Jonathan Falwell. And you know, serving God is a wonderful thing. And it should be an outpouring of our love for Him and for His children. But it's awfully easy sometimes to get absorbed in our own emotional needs and forget our true purpose in getting involved in helping, in volunteering. When you serve God and are doing great things for God, I hope and pray that you aren't doing them because you want to be somebody or that you want to fit in, but rather you are doing them because you want to be closer to God, that you are closer to the power of God in your life, and it's a natural outflow of that closeness that makes you want to serve Him. You see, God is not so much interested in our service as He is interested in our hearts. We've got to refocus the heart. We have to make sure that our heart is in the right place when it comes to serving God. He's saying to regulate your life. Figure out what that means for you so that you can walk in the Spirit. You need to understand what it means to walk in the power of God so that you can have all that God intends for you. The things that we do for God and our outward activities will never allow us to fulfill our mission unless our heart is truly fixed on Him. As Christians, we are called to be many things, but the most important thing is to be called a child of God. One-on-one with Pastor Jonathan. To receive his daily audio devotional free by email each day, visit Falwell.com. So glad we left that stupid party. No joke. Hey, baby, are you an overdue library book? Because you got fine written all over you. Oh, barf. <laughs> what about that girl with the hoop earring? Ridiculous. When she was dancing... Megan, look out. Look out! <laughs> Oh, my God. Becky. Becky, are you okay? My arm. I think it's broken. Can you bend it? It's already bent in the wrong direction. I can't believe this. I'm so sorry. I only had a few drinks. I was just buzzed. Really? Just buzzed? Yeah, I swear. Well, in that case, my arm is fine. Ah, that's better. You're really okay? You're serious, Becky? No, genius. I'm not serious. Buzzed driving. Maybe we should stop acting like it's no big deal. Buzzed driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. This is Morty Inspirations on Jam Radio 
Would you join with me, please, in prayer? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on a cross, paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that puts you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead, from the death of sin. You are giving me a new life, the life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart, and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Hallelujah. Saved. 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 Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you living alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way, there is no other message. For there is no other way, there is no other message. Oh, come to him, come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself totally to him. And you too will enter into that joy of sins forgiven, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For how will you escape if you neglect so great salvation? For how will you escape if you neglect so great salvation? How can I say thanks?
Jack, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. This is Jam Radio Network. 